32, you say, Pastor Joe, you've never done that much before. Well, that's because, hear me out, there's about 16 verses or so in there that are just, uh, just some genealogy. and it's not, They're not important, um, but it's uh, more focused on uh, certain, certain members of the genealogy that we're going to focus in on and that we're going to be uh, seeing as, as sort of the, the main point here. Uh, and that's because that's what the Lord does here. I want you to understand that. This is not me trying to skip over some folks. And it's not that God skips over these folks. Rather, it's that God has chosen some of these folks to use because these certain individuals are going to be used ultimately for the grand purpose of the whole Bible. And that's to reveal Christ. It's to bring us to Jesus. It's to bring us to who He is and to bring Him into the world so that He would come, He would die for sinners, and that He would offer us forgiveness of sins and eternal life. And so let's look here tonight. I want to read just for sake of time tonight. I'm not going to read all of uh, all the Scripture that deals with this booklet. Um, that can be your homework. You can read chapter 5 tonight, all right? Only 32 verses, so if you read one verse a minute, it's only 32 minutes of reading. That's not that bad. Uh, but if you read more than a verse a minute, you should be doing all right. Uh, now look here. Uh, chapter 4, verse 25, it says, And Adam knew his wife again, and she bare a son, and called his name Seth. For God said, she, uh, for God said she hath appointed me another seed instead of Abel, whom Cain slew. And to Seth, to him also there was born a son, and he called his name Enos. Then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. For you and I, in between verse 26 and chapter 5, verse 1, we ought to write a big amen right there. But here's what we're seeing, all right? If we remember back a little bit here, chapter 4 starts off with this. It starts off, and Adam knew his wife. We know this. Biblically, that means this. They had relations and their marriage status. They had a baby, right? Now, in this, chapter 4, verse 1, it says, She conceived and bare Cain and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. Now, we addressed this a while back. This is Eve's pride here. Now, we've we got to go back a little bit further here. Look at this. Chapter 3, verse 15. Sin has entered into the world. They look at each other. They go, oh, shoot, we're naked. Things aren't good. They try to cover themselves up with fig leaves and try to hide behind a tree. But God still comes, right? And judgment still comes. But with judgment, what does God always give? He gives grace. He gives grace to sinners because he clothes them uh, after verse 15 of chapter 3 with uh, skins of an innocent animal, which means innocent blood had to be shed for the remission of sins. That's the pattern of all of Scripture. But look at chapter 3, verse 15. God says to them, And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, that's the serpent, the devil, and the woman, and between thy seed, his descendants, and her seed, her descendants, and it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Who is this talking about? This is talking about Jesus Christ. This is what theologians call the proto-evangelium, which to break that word down, it's a fancy $2 word. Proto, meaning first, evangelium, which is the Greek word for uh, euangelizo or euangelion, which is good news or to tell the good news. So it is the first gospel. You know what the word gospel means? It means good news. So this is the first gospel given here, right? It is right here, plain as day, there is coming a redeemer. Now for you and I living in 2022, we know the redeemer has come. His name is Jesus he was God in the flesh. He lived a perfect, sinless life because no one else ever could. It's not just that he did not sin, but he would not and could not sin. And then with that, he goes all the way to the cross, dies a death for sinners, literally becoming sin who knew no sin, right? So that we might be made the righteous of God in him. He became your sin. He didn't just pay for your sin. He became every evil thought you've ever thought. He became every lie you've ever told. 
He became every wicked thing you and I have ever done or thought, right? That's what Jesus did for us. Why? Because God so loved the world. Because God demonstrates His love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's the whole message of the Bible. From Genesis to Revelation, this is God saying, I've made you, you have rebelled, but I will still save you by my grace and by my love for you. Now, Jesus doesn't just die. What does He do? He goes in the grave. He raises again victorious from the, uh, the third day according to the Scriptures, right? To offer this eternal life, to fulfill the promise in the, the Scripture. And what happens on the day of Calvary and, and as well the day that Jesus victoriously uh, resurrects from the dead is Genesis chapter 3, verse 15 is full, final, and complete, right? So Jesus was victorious on the cross. Jesus was victorious at the grave. Jesus is victorious now. He's always been victorious. He always will be. Now, this gets us to chapter 4, verse 1. Eve has been heard this promise from God that a seed's going to come, and she goes, I've gotten a man from the Lord, meaning this. I've got my Messiah here, right? I've had a son. Then she goes, this is it. This is the one. This is going to be Messiah. What does Cain end up being? Not the Messiah, but a murderer. He murders his own brother. He murders Abel. Why does he murder Abel? The Bible says he does it out of his own lust, out of his own pride, of his own greed, of his own sinfulness. Because Cain and Abel both went to worship the Lord, but only Abel really worshiped the Lord that day. Cain worshiped himself. Cain didn't approach God by faith, first of all. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. What is faith? Faith is the total dependence, reliance, and trust upon the promise of God. That's the word of God. In the provision of God, that's the work of God. So, in that, Abel trusts. Abel offers up a blood sacrifice by faith. God is pleased. Cain sacrifices his own fruits and vegetables of his own hand. And I'm sure they might have been the biggest pumpkin or the biggest piece of celery you've ever seen. But it doesn't matter because it wasn't offered by faith and there was not blood. There was no remission of sins there. Now, Cain kills Abel. Things go bad in chapter 4. What happens in chapter 4? Cain, graciously by God, is left alive but still under judgment. No longer is he going to be able to produce the fruit and the food that he once was by his own hands. He's now going to be a vagabond and out roaming the world where everyone is going to reject him. But God says, anyone that touches Cain, I will avenge him sevenfold. Now, then we get into this. Cain gets a wife. You know who he married? Yes, either a sister or a niece. You know why? Because there won't nobody else. And we talked about that. We dealt with those issues and things early in the uh, in this, genetically, they had the makeup. Nowadays, you, you, you marry your first cousin, we got to have some conversations, right? Okay. Uh, th- there's some issues with it today because genetically things are not right. Not to mention, God later on in the Bible is going to say, that's a no-no, right? Now, in this, generations start popping up. In, in the rest of chapter 4, we have seven generations given. The seventh generation from Cain is a man named Lamech. And that dude was wicked, perverted. He had several wives. They built cities and they built their own little kingdom. And everything was about an outer beauty and about the work of man's own hand. Much like what's going to happen with the Tower of Babel, that we would build us a name, right? So then Lamech is not just a a sinful man sexually speaking, but he also kills a boy. And he says, if Cain should be avenged sevenfold, truly Lamech, seventy and sevenfold. You want to talk about pride, that's some pride there. Now, here's where we get to our scripture tonight. There is a faithful son named Seth who is now being born. He is sort of like this. Y'all ever, anybody here like Star Wars? Am I the only one? Okay, a couple of you. 
Star Wars Episode Four, which was the original Star Wars, by the way, is a, a New Hope, is what it's called. I started to title the booklet A New Hope, but I didn't know if anyone would get that or not. But it's the idea that there is a new hope here, right? Everything, if we, if the Bible ends with chapter 4, verse 24, it ain't good, is it? Right? It, it, now, granted, God could go from chapter 4, verse 24, and go ahead and skip onto the flood, and he'd be just in doing so, but he doesn't. Chapter 4, verse 25 picks up parallel. We often think that it's way later down the road. But picture it this way. As the seven generations are happening with Cain, same thing is happening with Seth. All right. So Adam knew his wife again. She bears a son. Calls his name Seth. For God said she hath appointed me another seed instead of Abel, whom Cain slew. Salhammer writes, The scene at the conclusion of the chapter returns to the opening section of the narrative. Another son is born, verse 25, in spite of the evident consequences of the fall in chapter 4, verse 8. There are new signs of the divine grace. You know why she was able to conceive? Grace. You know why it was a son? Grace. You know why she named him Seth? Grace. Because what the Lord was doing is extending his grace to continue the line of redemption. Why? Because there are souls still at stake. Do not think for a moment that because sin was so rampant here in the Bible, and by the way, we don't understand the depth of sinfulness that's all here. What's happening in the first 11 chapters of the Bible Really, about the first 15 chapters of the Bible is about 4,000 years of history here. It's a ton. It's nearly, I mean, it's a ton. It's thousands of years. Sin goes quick. It don't take long for sin to happen, let alone for sin to just poof, go everywhere. Now, with this, we've got to keep this in mind, that what is God doing? What is His plan? His plan is to bring forth the seed of the woman to crush the head of the seed of the serpent. It is to bring forth the promised one, the one who will grow up to be the one who will offer real life, who will offer real forgiveness. Now, it will not look like a judge. It will not be one of the kings of Israel or Judah. Rather, it's going to be Jesus Christ who came, who did not show up as a king. Matter of fact, he got crucified. When they crucified him, he was hailed as king of the Jews, but the Jews didn't want him. When he comes back, he's coming back as king of kings and lord of lords because that's who he is. Now, another commentator writes about this, the character of the ungodly family of the Canaanites, right? Canaanites, notice that. There's going to be this constant battle now between this group and this group. And I want to help you out a little bit. You know what you still see today in Israel? The same exact battle. Now, spiritually, you know what you see today? The same exact battle. Do you know why the lost world wants nothing to do with biblical Christianity? Because of the same exact battle. There is a lineage of faith. That is the way of Abel. As we're going to find tonight as well, the way of Seth. It is the way that trusts God. It is the way that, as we see in verse 26, calls upon the name of the Lord. But there's another way. This is the way of Cain is what I believe it's Jude tells us about. They've gone the way of Cain. This is the way of lying, murder, wickedness, unfaithfulness. This is the way that maybe even professes a knowledge of God, but does not truly know Him, right? This is the lost way. This is the broad way that leads to destruction. This is the narrow way that finds life. Now, as we look in this, the history therefore turns from them to indicate briefly the origin of the godly race. After Abel's death, a third son was born to Adam, to whom his mother gave the name of Seth. 
This is from a present participle, the appointed one, or meaning the compensation, right? This is a gift here, is the way that she views Seth. For, she said, God hath appointed me another seed or descendant for Abel because Cain slew him. Notice that. Eve sounds like she's had a change of heart, doesn't she? She went from going, I got me my Messiah. It's going to be my boy. I made him. I birthed him. I raised him. And he's going to be the one to do it. Mine. Well, that's not right. How about this? Look in verse 25. She goes from chapter 4, verse 1, going, look at what, I, what I've done. So now she says, God has appointed me another seed instead of Abel whom Cain slew. Out of her heartbreak of watching Abel, the son who lived by faith, be murdered by Cain, now what is God doing? He's not just replacing an Abel. He's doing much more than helping mend a, a, the broken heart of a mother. Granted, is that what he's doing with Eve? Absolutely. But let's look big picture. What is he doing? He's working the way of redemption for Eve, for her descendants, for you and I. So God is at work here in her life. This tells us as well, God cares about your life. He cares about your broken heart. He cares about your loss. He genuinely cares for us. I don't think we understand that. The Bible talks about this, right? We can cast all of our care before He careth for you. To think that the God of heaven, the God of the universe, the God who breathed it all into existence, holds it all together in the span of His hand. The entire universe counts the stars, knows the hairs in your head, he cares. It's mind-boggling to think that God would care for me because I know how sinful I am, and yet He still cares for me. Now, Adam and Eve's third child, it's called Seth here, connected with a verb meaning He has granted. Eve has lost Abel to death and Cain to exile. Seth is a replacement for Abel, not for Cain. Cain has gone the broad way. There's no getting Cain back. There's no getting Abel back either. Abel's dead, and as the Lord said, he's in the ground and his blood crieth, right? So what's she got? She has the Lord's grace. When Paul says that Jesus told him that his grace was sufficient, it wasn't starting in Paul's day. God's grace was sufficient in Genesis chapter 4. The same way it was sufficient for the Apostle Paul. The same way it's sufficient for us. God's grace is ever at work in the life and the lives of His people. Now, Seth is going the way of Abel. But what's the way of Abel? The way of faith. That's the key here. So tonight, you and I, spiritually speaking, are descendants, and even physically, if we were to truly trace it, we all come back to these same folks. But spiritually speaking, we believe like they believed. God provides God saves. God speaks. Now, let's look here at the big picture. The promise of the promised seed of Genesis 3.15 is beginning to grow. And the continuation of the emphasis of the seed is once again seen. Now, when we talk about the seed, we obviously know that he's talking about the seed of, of man to produce a child. Jesus was a man. Put on flesh. Born of a virgin woman. That's what we celebrate Christmas. Praise God for the miracle. She didn't stay a virgin. She had other, other kids. Jesus had half-siblings, the whole thing, right? 
Nevertheless, we know Jesus came in the flesh to die in the flesh, to be put to death in the flesh so that we could be made alive in the Spirit, so that we could be made alive, so that we could have eternal life, everlasting life. When we talk about Him being the promised seed, when you think about a seed, what does a seed do? It grows, doesn't it? It starts off as a seed, and it grows real big. Kami and I, um, for some reason, the past couple of months have been following this guy online who grows really big pumpkins. Huge. He actually broke a state record. What state was that thing? I don't remember. It was somewhere. It was somewhere up north, I think it was. It might have been Maine or something. You might see the pumpkin for all I know when you guys travel up there. I don't know. If you do, let us know. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be like this big. All right. But the thing ended up as a start off, you guess, a pumpkin seed, right? Things that we can buy and we can eat and they taste delicious, right? It's like a sunflower seed, but, but it's a pumpkin seed. You got it? Okay. That pumpkin seed, though, when watered, given sunlight, nutritious soil, that one seed grew a pumpkin. And we watch this thing. 2,000 plus pounds. That's, that's a ton of pumpkin. It's huge to think about. Literally, the one plant for that one pumpkin was about half the size of this sanctuary. Just the one plant for that one pumpkin. Huge. I mean, it's crazy to think about, right? And we think about Jesus being the seed, right? Seed always produces fruit. He is the fruit. But from the seed is going to come a better tree of life. Remember, they are no longer allowed to go the way of the tree of life because of their sinfulness. They can't go. Because if they do, they'll stay in their sin. But the seed here is going to grow into something. And it's going to be the tree of life. And it's not going to look like something that you can walk up to and pluck fruit from. Rather, it's going to be a cross. That He would die for us on a tree to offer us life that all those who eat and drink of Christ by faith can have an abundant life, can have everlasting life, can have forgiveness and fellowship with the Father through the Son. Now, Eve naming her children is incredibly important. Naming your children is important, right? I mean, you've got to have a little bit of thought into it, don't you? Um, hopefully. The way they're naming kids nowadays, I, I don't know what they're doing. Uh, it's a mess. I, they, we, need to, we need to start buying some people some baby books, I think, is what we've got to do. But <laughs> Nevertheless, the name is important. For around here, and even still to a degree, your name is your character. Your name is representative of who you are, especially in this day. Now, if we remember this, Eve naming her children is very important. The naming of Cain showed her pride and her self-reliance. But now naming Seth shows a change of heart and her dependence upon God, her thankfulness to God. God hath granted me. When God grants something, what is that? It's a gift of His grace. Now, if we remember too as well, when did Eve get her name? Adam, that's right. You've read this before, haven't you? <laughs> Adam called her Eve. Before that, you know what she was called? Woman. That was it. She was woman. He called her Eve. Why did he call her Eve? Do you remember? Because... It says that she'd be the mother of all living. What does that mean? Not just that everything that is physically alive that's a human being is going to come from her. That is true. But it had the secondary spiritual meaning that spiritual life will come from her womb. Why? Because who's, trace that lineage one down. Who's coming? Jesus Christ, the Savior, the promised seed, the one to crush the head of the serpent. 
So the naming of the children here, the naming of Seth is very important. What is found here is Kidner writes, Eve's faith, emphasizing God's will by the name Seth, meaning appointed or appointing or compensation, right? <clears throat> Excuse me. Is even clearer now than verse 1. The mention of another seed also seems to take up the promise of chapter 3, verse 15. You know what a life of faith, faith looks like? It's when God speaks and we believe it. God says, I'm going to give a seed. I will give. I'll do this work. A seed will come through you, but you can't take credit for it. How about that? Your salvation is the same way. Your sanctification is the same way. One day when you reach heaven, it's the same way. You might be the one that says, I trust you, Lord, but I can tell you this. The reason why we trust the Lord is because He's done a work in us. He's shown us and revealed us who He is. And that idea of growing in Him, what's that? He's the one doing the cultivating, the growing, the trimming, the plucking, the watering, the nourishing, the protecting, the provide, the whole thing. It's the Lord. Why? So that we might not boast. Salvation is a gift of grace because if it wasn't, we boast about it. And some of us have been saved by grace and we boast about it. We must boast only, glory only in the cross of Christ. Now, look here. Seth here, as we can see, verse 25 and 20, 26, there's a time lapse here, isn't there? There's got to be. You don't go from coming out of your mom to being able to have a kid yourself, right? Babies ra ra raising babies. It don't work that way. There's some time lapse here. You want to know how long? I don't know either. All right. He's old enough at this point to have a kid, at least. Right? It says here, And to Seth, to him also were born a son, and he called his name Enos. Then men came to call upon the name of the Lord. What we're going to see later on is that Enos is going to have kids, and these children are going to have children, and then children, 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 right? It's going all the way down through here. But here's this idea that with all of this, these are going to be showing that through the lineage, physically, is going to bring the physical Christ. But through the lineage of faith is going to be, to be the, the lineage of faith. That is real salvation. Now, we understand this. There's some types here I want to look at for just a moment here. I skipped over that in my notes here. Scroggy writes, If Abel can be regarded as a type of the Lord in his death, Seth will typify him in his resurrection. Now think about this. Abel was one that lived by faith, wasn't he? He lived by faith. He trusted God's word. He trusted in God's work. He offered up sacrifice of blood by faith. He wasn't trusting in that blood. He was trusting in the God who accepted that blood. Understand the difference? Right? So when Israel was saved and year after year, it was not because there was something special about that goat. It was because there was something special about the God who accepted the blood. Except the faith. Right? Faith made the difference. Not just faith in that goat. No, no, no. Faith in the Lord. Faith in His Word because it's the Word of God that has prescribed how to worship Him. And it is the work of God that accepts us now so that we can worship Him, so that we can know Him. So with this, Abel dies. Our Lord died. Perfectly obedient. How was Abel living? He was living obedient. Living rightly to the Lord. It is a type and a picture, but then look, Seth brings us new hope. If you remember, when Jesus died, the people that walked with Him for three and a half years could not believe it. Do you remember that? They had gone a fishing. They said, I'm going back to my old life. I'm going back to how things were because I don't know anything else. I can't believe this happened. But do you remember too as well? You read the Gospels how many times Jesus said, the Son of Man, 
must be delivered into the hands of sinners and to the chief scribes and priests and must die and be raised again. And they didn't have a clue. They even got to the point where they tell him, right, where he tells them, you aren't going to understand this, but when I raise again, you'll get it. And when he did, then they got it. So here's the thing. Look at this. Let's just look at Eve, for example. Did she get it in chapter 4, verse 1, when Cain comes? No. Does she got it now? Yes. That makes the difference. Because now there is this promise of not just, oh, the son who was living right died. All hope would seem lost because we've got no one else. But what does Seth bring? Seth brings a promise of resurrection. Seth brings a new hope. Seth brings, as Enos, his own son, comes into the world, that men begin to call upon the name of the Lord. That real worship is reestablished. Who was worshiping properly and biblically, rightly? Abel was. He was murdered. Jesus, murdered, right? Think about this. So Seth comes, and it's this beautiful picture of what the gospel is. And it is the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord to offer eternal life so that we can truly worship the Lord in spirit and in truth, not based upon our works or what we think, but based upon what He has said and established and what He has done for us. So God's plan of redemption is undeterred regardless of the wickedness of man. Cain killed Abel. You would think all hope is lost. Not so. God says, I got another one. Cain, I want you to know this. This didn't happen. Praise the Lord, it didn't. Cain could have walked up or Lamech, the evil seventh generation, could have walked up and killed Seth or could have killed Enos. You know what God would have done? He'd have had another. We often think that we go, oh, the devil's working. Oh, yeah, he is. But he's going to work himself to death. Literally. He will never outsmart God. He can never outwork God. He will never dethrone God. And no matter what the devil does, you and I often think that the devil wins some victories in this world, don't we? We do sometimes. An election don't turn out right. There's a tsunami. There's a natural disaster. There's something bad happening. People are going evil and crazy. Whatever it might be, right? And we go, boy, the devil sure is just wreaking havoc. You know what's also happening at the very same time? God is still very much in control, undeterred, not surprised a bit by anything that's going on, and is very much working to bring about the end of all things, which is where He will rule and He will reign forevermore, and every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's the Bible. That's human history. So nothing will come against that. Things will come against it, but nothing will prevail against it. Redemption only comes as well through God's promised seed and is received by faith. Now as we get to Enos here, notice, then, then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. Over in chapter 4, notice what we don't have for seven generations. Seven generations of Cain's descendants, not one calls upon the name of the Lord. They called upon the name of themselves. They lived lives of idolatry. They built their own kingdoms and cities. They built their own names. They had their wives named for their beauty, for their might, their children and their children's children. They focused solely on what they can build with their hands. Now, did God create us to be a creative people? Yes. But it's to reflect His glory, not to get our own. 
what they had done is had perverted what it means to be made in the image and likeness of God. You know what sin itself is? It is a perversion of the image and likeness of God. It is the opposite of how we were supposed to be made. It is the opposite of what God's character is. What does it mean to be made in His image and likeness? It is to be a mirror, to reflect God. It is that everything that we do and say, it is to point back to His glory. That the, glo- the glory of man is to reflect the glory of the Lord because nothing is designed like man is designed. Only man is a living soul. But in so doing, it is to reflect God's glory right back. So when the Lord says, you're the light of the world, we often think, oh, well, that means we're, we're like the sun just to shine. No, no, no. We're like the moon. We're living in darkness, right? We are not producing our own light, but rather we're reflecting the light of another. So that's our job here. That's our role. That's our responsibility. That's what it means to be made in the image of God. That is what it means to live biblically and rightly and justly and by faith. Here's one commentator puts, To Seth, to him also, there was born a son, and he called his name Enos or Enosh. Uh, there's multiple variations of spelling. We see that throughout the Scriptures at times with, with many of the names, by the way. All right, There's much overlap here. Now with this, his name literally means to be weak, faint, frail, designates man from his frail and mortal condition. Let me pause. If you remember back, Cain had a mighty name. right? It was a good name. You know what Abel's name meant? Same thing. Abel meant weak one or weakness. One who was frail, sickly even, is the idea. Look at Enos. Fragile. Reminds us that the human condition is frail, is fragile, is mortal. But that's a good thing. When man is mighty in strength and power and wisdom, He does not call upon the name of the Lord. But when man sees his weakness, that's when he calls upon God. Our greatest problem is pride. Our greatest problem is that we have too low of a view of God and far too high a view of oneself. We can never have a high enough view of who God is. But I can tell you this, we at times actually can have too low of a view of ourselves. You say, what does that mean? means this, if you're in Christ, we need to see ourselves as God sees us now. He now looks at us and He no longer sees who we were, who we are. He doesn't even see us in our sinfulness now. He sees the righteousness of Christ. Does that mean you can live a free-for-all? No, no. Rather, it means the opposite. It means that because the Lord sees you now as a new creature, because you are a new creature, you ought to live as such. So, with this, In this name, as this commentary writes, therefore the feeling and knowledge of human weakness and frailty were expressed, the opposite of the pride and arrogance displayed by the Canaanitish family. And this feeling led to God, uh, to that invocation, the name Jehovah, the Lord, which commenced under Enos. Literally to call in or by the name of Jehovah is used for a solemn calling of the name of God. It's worship. Here men begin to worship the Lord again. It doesn't take but a generation to forget how to worship God. It doesn't take but a generation to forget God altogether. You look at Israel and their time in the Old Testament. What did they constantly do? And this king named such and such, right? Some sort of Azaziah, you know, some sort of Zias, something, right? Something was in there, right? And what does it say? And he was good, did that which is right inside the Lord. Well, that's good. 
And then the very next king, he goes, and he did this, 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 and this. He could have done this better, but he still did this, and he died and did good. And his son came in his stead and began to rule, and he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. And he set up high places, and he worshipped Baal, and he did all these things, right? Generation away. We see this in our own day, don't we? The faith that grandmama and great-grandmama used to have, it's about plumb gone. One, because you can't inherit faith, first of all. Well, what grandma had, you don't just naturally get because you got grandma that loves the Lord. Okay? But two, what has happened is we have left not only not passing the torch, but we're not even telling them what the torch is. We're not even showing what a life of faith and worship looks like. The reason why we've got people in churches, and we've got especially young people who are leaving in droves and don't know what it means to sit in church, to worship God, to know God, to come to prayer meeting or whatever it might be, to worship the Lord unashamedly. You know why? They, most of them have never seen it from mom or dad. Most of them, because they haven't seen it, they go, well, it must not be that real. So just a healthy dose of, a dose of religion, right? And we've seen this. Just generation to generation to generation. So now we're, we're literally degenerating. It's getting worse and worse. But what we find here is this. Though mankind in his sinfulness gets worse and worse and more and more idolatrous and immoral, God's grace remains the same. That God chooses to use the weak and frail, like Enos, like Abel, like you and me, right? God uses those who trust in Him. We often look and think about the mighty men and women of God in the Old Testament. When you read the descriptions about what they looked like, most of them weren't that big, strong, and mighty. As a matter of fact, many of them that were big, strong, and mighty at times when they got lifted up in their pride, that's when they came crashing down. God uses the unsuspecting. God uses the ones who... As Jesus talks about, the last will be first. The weak will be strong. The foolish of the world will be wise. Right? What man views as wise, strong, and, and worthy, God uses the opposite. 1 Corinthians tells us this. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 27, But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in His presence. Why? Because He gets the credit. I don't have proof. We often talk about someone like Samson, right? And we typically picture in Bible books and children's books, Samson being, I mean, just as big, as strong, and good-looking as me. <laughs> You can laugh there, right? He was, he was much taller, right? <laughs> All right, think. I often wonder, was he that big? That mighty looking? Or was he weak looking? And what made him so strong was God's strength in him. I don't know. We might know one day. We might not. I don't know. We might, we'll probably see him up there and go, oh, okay, that explains it, right? I don't know. I do know this, though. If you've been used of the Lord, it's not been because 
you're wise, because you're strong or important, not even because you are able. It's because you're unable. But you're willing to say, I can't, but God, you can through me. That's what faith does. That's what Abel said. That's what Seth said. That's what Enos says. And that's what down through this lineage leading to Christ is going to do. A surprising pattern is, re- is established in chapter 4 that remains central to, mo- to most of the larger themes of the book of Genesis. The one through whom the promised seed will come is not the eldest son, the heir apparent. The promised seed can be only that of one whom God has chosen. Abel, the younger of the two sons, received God's favor. Seth, an even younger son, replaces Abel as another seed. Isaiah 55.8, God says, My ways ain't your ways. Your ways ain't my ways. I'm God, you're not. I do as I please. And then a couple verses later, you know what he says? I send forth my word, and it always accomplishes what I send forth for it to do. Same is found here. What we see is this will be seen in the life of Abraham. Isaac. Was Isaac the eldest son? No. Remember, Abraham had another kid before him named Ishmael. But Isaac was the chosen, the promised one, because he promised it to Sarah. Sarah even laughed. She couldn't have kids. We'll get into that. Next year. <laughs> we got a few pages to go. We're going to see it in Jacob. Let me ask you this. All right, put your Bible quiz on, your Bible quiz hat on, is it on, strapped on? Was Jacob the eldest son? No. Matter of fact, it says that Jacob came out holding on to his brother's heel, don't it? Esau was first. Who got the promise? Jacob. And we wouldn't have chose him. You know why? Because from our perspective, he was a con and a swindler. But to God, Jacob wrestled. Jacob had faith. Jacob had mistakes. But Jacob would trust the Lord. How about Judah? Right? All the way through the Bible, God uses folks and all the way down through the lineage to bring us to the least expecting. Was Jesus Mary's oldest? Yes, because she was a virgin when, he had, when she had him. But it was in the little town of Bethlehem, house of bread, insignificant place, a place long forgotten even by the prophets that the Messiah would come there. He was born to a virgin who was scared, engaged to a carpenter who's trying to figure out how to be a husband and now a father to the promised Messiah, and they ain't got a clue. They're then going to be taken by God's providence and delivered into Egypt for their protection while babies in that area are slaughtered because nothing will deter God's plan. God is then going to take care of them, bring them back, and raise them up. And the Bible says that Jesus grew in favor and stature with both God and man. He does so does all this to show us that God chooses the small in stature and the mighty of faith. He chooses the ones who say yes and obey. You want to know how I know that? It's in the Bible. Read Hebrews 11. You won't find a perfect person. 
find every person by faith. By faith. So tonight as we bring that to a close, and Miss Sharon has proven right, I didn't make it as far as I said I would. <laughs> I want to encourage you tonight with this. When we see these things in the Bible, may it encourage our hearts to continue to call upon the name of the Lord, to trust Him because the weakest of us, the most foolish of us, most unlikely of us, God says, that's the one I'll use to confound the wise, to confound the mighty. Why? So that none else would get the glory except the Lord. May we choose to live lives of faith the way of Enos, the way of Seth, his daddy, and the way of Abel, that we would walk before the Lord by faith to please Him, to glorify Him, and to proclaim to a lost world today that there is a God in heaven that they must know, and they can only know Him through Jesus Christ alone. Let's pray. Lord, we love You. We thank You for this night. Grateful that we can study Your Word. Grateful that You can show us these things. Lord, that You're not just telling us things about the Bible, and it's not just do's and don'ts, but God, You reveal who You are. You reveal Your character. And Lord, You remain gracious, merciful, and faithful to fulfill Your plan, Your will. And Lord, it's Your will to save souls. And God, we thank You for that, to redeem us, to reconcile us to Yourself through the blood of Your Son. God, I pray that tonight we would be full of faith, that we would trust You, that we would walk rightly before You, and God, that You would use us, and Lord, that we would be reminded tonight that, Lord, if we would make our, ourselves just simply available to You by faith and simply trust You and say yes to You, that, God, there's no telling what You would use us to do. Lord, You might just change this town. You might just send revival. You might just change this world, this land, if we just simply say yes, God. May we be willing, and may we be used of You and have open hands, Lord, to receive Your blessing, but as well, God, to be... Uh, able just to be in fellowship with you, to enjoy your presence and your, and your goodness. And we just thank you for this time. Go with us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Y'all have a blessed night. We'll see you Sunday morning.